Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Good morning. Good to see you. Uh, great day planned. Wasn't it good to be worshiping together? And uh, uh, so many of you were actually on time today. And I just want to hey, commend you. Uh, great job. For some of you, it was a whole new life experience. First time you were ever early for anything. And, and see, it wasn't that painful. And it was just awesome as we continue to move in this paradigm of encounter here in worship. And, you know, some of you say, oh, Mike, I tried as hard as I could, and I, I'm, I'm still seven minutes late. And I'm saying, hey, but normally you're 15 minutes late. So we're making good progress here. So just continue on. Hey, we've got a great service planned. And uh, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at the Church of Rocky Peak. If this is your very first time here, we want to welcome you. We're so glad you're here with us. Uh, inside your program is a message note sheet. Your, your program has all the announcements uh, ready for the week, but we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. So you, you guys all ready to go? Let's do it. All right, let's, uh, let's pray. God, we're just so thankful for what you're doing in our church and, and how you're really coming after us and coming after our hearts and waking us up and, and calling us to a whole new life, a life that's passionately pursuing you and truly being changed and then used by you to change the world. And we, we pray today as we, we talk about uh, the Psalms and about this incredible promise you made ancient times that one would come one day who would rescue us from the death that we've been born into and give us a whole new life. We pray that you would help us embrace this promise and the fulfillment of that promise in a new way today. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're brand new, uh, I want to again welcome you. We're continuing a series that we've been in now for about the last five or six weeks. It's called Behind the Music. And this is a series that's based on the Old Testament book of Psalms. Now, if you're new at this, the book of Psalms is one of the most popular books in the Bible. But one thing that most people don't know, unless you've been here the last few weeks, is that the book of Psalms is really uh, a book of songs. In fact, the, the word psalm in, comes from the Greek word psalmos, which means song. And so what we're studying in the book of Psalms is sort of the top hits of the nation of Israel. They were written some of their, by some of their top spiritual leaders over about a thousand year period of time. And so what we're doing in this series is we're going behind the music every week, study the lyrics of these songs to learn what they can teach us, the life lessons about how to walk well with God in our life. What does it look like to have a relationship with God that is real, that's personal, that's life-changing, uh, and that uh, God has called us to? And so today, uh, the topic on the table is called The Promise. And uh, uh, we're actually going to start today a little bit differently than we normally do. We're actually going to start in the New Testament, not the Old and Psalms. And there in your note sheet, I put a passage from Luke 24. So let me set this up. Let's turn back the clock in time. It's the first day of the resurrection. It's Resurrection Sunday. So on Friday, Jesus, you know, he'd been arrested. He was murdered on Friday. He goes into the grave. On Sunday, he comes out, new body. He's resurrected. It's Sunday evening. His men have not seen him yet. And so that night, they're hiding behind locked doors for fear of the authorities. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Now, he didn't come through the door. And so their assumption is that he's a ghost. Remember, they, they didn't have any paradigm of resurrection, at least not in time and space. They believed, Jews believed, and most Jews believed in the resurrection of the end of time, but not in the middle of time. So they had no paradigm for what there was, was happening. And so when they see him, they assume he must be a spirit, he must be a ghost, but he assures them he's not. He shows them his hands, his feet with the scars, his side. Uh, there's some fish there on the table. He offers to eat. He eats it in front of them. So they, they realize he's really there. He's, he's alive, real body, the whole bit. And, and so they're baffled by this because like most of Israel, 
they were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. In the Old Testament, God had promised that one day he would send a great king who came from the line of David, he'd be a son of David, who would take over the world and, and kind of destroy the evil in the world and turn the world back to its right spot. And, and so this is what all Israel was hoping for. And so when Jesus came, his followers, they believed that he was this promised Messiah. The only problem was is that Messiahs don't die. Messiahs don't lose. Messiahs crush the enemies. They don't get crushed by the enemies. And so when they came in a week before his death, they come in on Palm Sunday, Jesus riding on the donkey. The crowds are going crazy. They believe he's the Messiah. They're calling out these messianic psalms. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're basically worshiping. They're saying, you are the anointed king. But then five or six days later, he's arrested. He is crucified. And one thing you know about Messiah is they don't get crucified. They don't lose. And so they, their, their whole mindset has been blown apart. And now on top of that, he's standing there alive. He's back. He lost, but he's back. And so they're trying to piece this together, total deer in the headlights moment. And so what Jesus does, he says, no, 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 this is all part of the plan. You've read part of the Old Testament. You know some of the promises. You know some of the predictions about the Messiah, but you don't know all of them. And you need to, and so what he does that night is he does a massive Bible study. Like you think, I'm long. He does this massive Bible study where he walks them through the Old Testament, starting with the, the Law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. Then he jumps to the prophets, walks them through predictions there, and then he goes to Psalms, what we're actually studying. And, and what he does is he shows that this is what God had predicted, that the Messiah or Christ, remember the word Christ means Messiah. Christ is the Greek version, Messiah is the Hebrew version, the anointed one. And so that the Christ had to suffer and die, this was all part of the plan, that he had to come and suffer and die for us to take care of our sin issue so that we would have the right to become part of his kingdom when he returns uh, back. And so with that background, let's kind of read a uh, look what he says. Uh, Jesus says, this is what I told you when I was still with you. And so in the six months prior to his arrest, Jesus had often told them, we're going to Jerusalem. Uh, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to rise. He told them that multiple times, but, but they just couldn't get it in their heads because that was not part of their paradigm. Messiahs don't lose, they win. And, and you know, Jesus would often speak in highly symbolic language, and so they're not really, they're just not really, okay, whatever, we'll figure it out later. Uh, so he says, this is what I told you when I was still with you, and then the next word's very important, I want you to circle it, everything. This is important, he says, everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the, what? The Psalms, which is our topic on the table, the book of Psalms. And so Ketchy says, everything, like you know some of the predictions about the Messiah, that he'll be this great king, that he will rule, he will destroy evildoers, he will take over the world. You know those predictions, but there's some predictions you don't know about. And I need to tell you the whole story. So he says, everything must be fulfilled. And then you go on and it says, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And I love this. Because this is what happens every time a man or a woman comes to Jesus. That God opens our minds so we can understand this. You remember this. Some of you are believers today. You remember a, a time when you, did, you thought the Bible was just a bunch of crock. It's like, this is not true. This is fairy tales. This whole Jesus thing. You didn't buy it. And then God opened your eyes. And, and all of a sudden you're reading. It's like, this makes so much sense. Where was this all along? And the book hasn't changed. You've changed. 
right? What's happened God's opened your eyes and, and you came to Christ as he opened your eyes. So he says he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures and he told them, this is what is written that the Christ, the Messiah, that he will suffer, that he will rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins, a whole new relationship with God will be possible uh, and it'll be preached in his name to all nations, not just to Israel, beginning at Jerusalem. So here's what I want to do. I want to take you back to that night. And we don't have time to go to the law of Moses and the prophets. We could do that. But what I want you to do is, we, since our, our topic is Psalms, I want to go back and I want to give you three examples of what we call Messianic Psalms. Psalms that were written in ancient Israel that predicted the coming of this great king. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called The Promise, The Coming of the King. And I just want to walk you through three quick examples. Of course, there's many more, but these would be three examples. And catch this, what the first example is going to be an example of this Messiah they were expecting. The Messiah that comes is this great king that destroys their enemies. The second example is going to be an example of the suffering Messiah. The third example is going to be an example of the resurrected Messiah. All right, so here we go. So Psalm, Psalm 110. Now, if you don't have your Bible here, feel free to look on with someone who does because it is church and they can't refuse you. So uh, in the parking lot, all bets are off, but here we're all watching that. Psalm 110. Now, let me tell you something interesting about Psalm 110. Psalm 110 was clearly understood in the New Testament times uh, before even Jesus died to be a messianic psalm. The Jews understood this is a messianic psalm. It's predicting the Messiah. And catch this, this is the most quoted psalm. In fact, it's the most quoted passage of scripture in the whole, old, whole New Testament. Words, if you read, read through the New Testament, you know how the New Testament often quotes the Old Testament? This is the most quoted passage in all the New Testament. And so it says, uh, so David's writing it, and he says, the Lord, and he, it's all caps. So what does that mean? Yeah, yeah, when it's, when it's in all caps, the Lord means Yahweh. So, so Yahweh says to my Lord. So David's writing this, okay? And he sees this scene unfolding before his eyes, and he says, Yahweh is speaking to my Lord, to David's Lord. Now what's interesting is we know that God had promised David that one of his descendants would one day sit on the throne and rule forever. We call him the Messiah. And so, but what's interesting in this psalm is that David sees Yahweh speaking to the Messiah and he calls him my Lord. And that's very interesting because David is the father of the Messiah. And in that culture, the father is always greater than the son. And yet David says prophetically, he calls him Lord. In fact, Jesus in the New Testament takes us back to this passage on occasion. He says, so why does David, if the Messiah is his son, call the Messiah his Lord? And because he's more than the son of David, he's the son of God. You see, so, so he says, Yahweh says to my Lord, so see this thing, Yahweh is speaking to Messiah, and here's what he says to Messiah. He says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So I'm going to take a seat here at my position of honor until I wipe out all your enemies and install you as king over the universe. Okay, that's what's being said. And so this is one of those Psalms that speaks of the rule of the, of the Messiah, the eternal rule. The Messiah will come and that he will rule. And so uh, if you follow through the whole Psalm, you see the whole theme of that. But let's skip down to verse five. And it says, the Lord is, um, he's talking to the Messiah. He says, the Lord is at your right hand, Messiah. And he will crush kings on the day of his wrath. Okay, so talking about Messiah coming. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. And he will judge the nations 
heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth, okay? So, so picture with me Revelation 19 where Jesus comes back on the white horse with the sword coming out of his mouth, the tattoo on his side that says word of God, that's got blood on his clothing. He is coming up to clean up the mess and don't get in his way, okay? This is a picture of Messiah coming back. See, see, right here and now, the message of Jesus is that Jesus loves you and he died to rescue you. And that's the Jesus you meet right now. But if you refuse that offer from that Jesus, when he comes back, he comes back not with grace, he comes with a sword to destroy. You see, and we forget this about Messiah that we live right now in a season of grace. There is an offer of amnesty for anyone who will lay down their arms and change sides in the spiritual war, and you can be saved regardless of all you've done. But when Jesus comes back, time is up. And when he comes back, he's coming back not to save, he's coming back to crush. He's coming back to save believers, but crush those who've resisted. Are you with me in this? And so this is a picture of the Messiah. Now here's the thing. This is the only picture of Messiah that the followers of Jesus and Israel had at the time when he, this is what they expected Messiah to be. And that's why when Jesus was crucified, they're like, shoot, we thought he was the Messiah. But Messiahs don't get crushed. Messiahs crush. That's why they're so confused. Here's one picture of Messiah, all right? Let's look at the second picture. The second picture, though, is of suffering Messiah. And for that, we go to Psalm chapter 22. And this is a very famous psalm because Jesus quotes this from the cross. So let me set it up. David uh, is describing a time in his life where he's going through a very deep waters. He's got all these enemies who are out to kill him. They're mocking him. And, and really, he senses he's going down for the last time. He's about to die. He's convinced he's going to die. And what's really frustrating, he's calling out for God to save him, and God is not answering. And so he feels utterly forsaken. And it's so interesting to me because a couple weeks ago, we studied Psalm 23. So, and Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If God's your shepherd, all, everything is good. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no. No evil, for you are with me, your rod, your club, your staff, they're, they're with me, they protect me. So David is in such great space, but if you back it up one chapter to Psalm 22, he starts off, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And isn't that the way life is? If you live long enough as a believer, there's going to be times when you feel, you're like you're living Psalm 22, and there's going to be times when you feel like you're living Psalm 23. And it's one of the things I love Psalms. They're just so honest about our relationship with God. But anyway, so David's going through these tough times. He feels forsaken by God. In the psalm, he describes the suffering he's going through. And then all of a sudden, the psalm takes a hard left turn. All of a sudden, right in the middle of the psalm, it's like David's been complaining, God, where are you? You're not with me. All of a sudden, something happens. We don't know what happens. But all of a sudden, his perspective changes it's like God shows up, he is with him, and God rescues him from this danger, and now the whole world's going to hear about this amazing deliverance God did, and they're going to come to worship Yahweh, okay? So, my, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Halfway through, you haven't forsaken me, you rescued me, the whole world's going to hear. And what we find out is this is a messianic psalm. This psalm is actually quoted at least three times in the New Testament. And so it starts off in, in verse 22, 22.1. And, and it says, David says, my God, my God, why have you what? 
Why have you forsaken me? And so this is the words of Jesus on the cross. He's hanging there on the cross. You may remember he quotes Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so you're saying, why is he saying that? Different theories, but, but here's the thing. Jesus knows Psalm 22. He knows the end of the story, right? And so it may look forsaken right now, but he knows at the end of the story, he's gonna be rescued. And so he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? And as you go through this Psalm now, David is gonna describe the suffering that he's going through, very intense suffering. But here's the thing, as you read Psalm 22, you get the distinct sense that David is speaking above his pay grade. That, that David is describing something that's beyond his own experience. Are, are you with me? He's describing his experience, but there's the Holy Spirit speaking through him and describing the greater suffering that one day his greater son will be going through. And as you read through it, it becomes like an eyewitness description of the crucifixion, even though when this was written, it was a thousand years before the time of Christ, and even though crucifixion would not even be invented for hundreds of years by the Assyrians. It started hundreds of years later. So let's just walk through some examples. So in verse seven, for example, David says, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in Yahweh. This is what they're saying to David. He trusts in Yahweh. Let Yahweh rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. You know, this is exactly what they said to Jesus. When he was on the cross, we're told in the gospels, the passerbys mocked him and the religious leaders literally said this, he trusts in God, let God rescue him. It's exactly what happened to Jesus on the cross. Look at verse 14. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. You think of Jesus hanging on the cross, the weight of his body, twisting his body apart. My heart is turned to wax, it's melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You remember Jesus crying from the cross, I thirst. This is uh, and then you remember at the cross, it was actually the Romans who crucified Jesus. In the ancient world, the Jews would call all non-Jews, uh, Jews. They, they used the affectionate term dogs. Uh, so, uh, so, so around when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified by the Roman dogs and they were the ones encircling him, nailing him to the cross. They were the ones there kind of gambling over his clothing and so on. And so in verse 16, dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men has encircled me and they have what? They have pierced my hands and my feet. Now honestly, we don't even know what David's talking about. We don't even know what he's talking about. David is speaking about something further than his own experience. And so he says, I can count all my bones. Remember Jesus hanging naked on the cross, exposed. People stare and they gloat over me. And then look what it says. They divide my garments among them and they cast lots for my clothing. And this is exactly what happened. In fact, in John chapter 19, the soldiers are casting lots for Jesus's clothing. And the apostle John quotes Psalm 22 and says, this was in fulfillment or was prophesied about the Messiah. And so, so, so then uh, in verse... Um, uh, uh, 22, though, all of a sudden, it all changes. We've been going through this horrendous time. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm going down for the last time. My body's being torn apart. You've gone through that. And then all of a sudden, the mood changes. Something happens. We don't know what, but the mood changes. And all of a sudden, David says, I will declare your name to my brothers. 
in the congregation, I will praise you. So what's happened? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You're far from my cry. All of a sudden, I will praise you because you've rescued me. And since something has happened, we don't know what. But it's very interesting because in the New Testament, this verse is quoted, verse 22, is quoted in Hebrews chapter two as a messianic psalm. And what he says in Hebrews, he says, you know, when you and I come into a relationship with God through Jesus, since God is our Father, Jesus is our what? Good. Three of you, very fast. <laughs> yeah, think of it. If, Jesus, if God is our Father, Jesus is our brother. And in Hebrews, it says he is not ashamed to call us his brothers. And it quotes this psalm. This psalm, and it, see, and he says, see, here it is, Psalm 22, Jesus said, uh, uh, I will declare your name to my brothers. And, and then if you go down, why is he praising God in verse 24? Because he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. So the psalm starts off, why have you forsaken me? And now something has happened. He says, but that's not the case. He hasn't despised or disdained the suffering. He has not hidden his face from him, but he's listened to his cry for help. And so, so, so some believe that on the cross, you know, God, God turned his face away from Jesus because he was being the sin bearer for us, and that's certainly possible. But I think it's also possible that what's going on here is Jesus knows Psalm 22. He knows he's being, uh, uh, you know, that it looks like he's utterly forsaken, but Jesus knows the end of the story, that though it looks that way, it isn't that way. And so look what happens in, in verse 27. David says, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to Yahweh, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion, in other words, ruler, kingship, belongs to Yahweh, and he rules over the nations. And so in Psalm 22, it's a messianic psalm, but it's focusing primarily on the suffering of the Messiah. But catch this, but through that suffering, God's going to step in and rescue him, and the whole world is going to worship Yahweh as a result. And so it's not the end of the story. The suffering and death is not the end of the story. Now, there's one more psalm I want to use as an illustration. It's Psalm 16. And for this psalm, you don't have to turn there. You're welcome to, but you don't have to because we're going to look at it through the eyes of Acts chapter 2, which is on your note sheet. So let me set it up. Uh, and uh, Jesus dies for us. He comes out of the grave three days later. Uh, for the next 40 days, Jesus is coming and going. And he's meeting with his men periodically. And he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. He's explaining the Old Testament more. He's preparing them to lead his movement. After 40 days, he leaves them permanently. He returns to his father, and we're told he sits down at the right hand of glory. In fulfillment, by the way, of Psalm 110 that we studied before. Sit down at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool. And so Jesus is now, he is ruling as ruler of the universe, and yet it, the father has not turned over the rule completely you know, to him. It's in the right time for it yet. And so, so Jesus is there, and Jesus had told his men, listen, I'm going away, and, and now you're going to take my movement throughout the world, but don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. Through my death and resurrection, we're entering into a new era of human history where God can actually come and live inside of you via my spirit. And when he comes, he will empower you to live and follow me and take them. So don't do anything until the Spirit comes. So they're waiting in Jerusalem for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it happens to be the Feast of Pentecost, one of the three great ancient feasts of Israel every year. And so tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of Jews are around the world. Now remember, it's less than two months 
since the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Many of these Jewish people that were there that day, they had seen Jesus perform miracles. Many of the Jewish people there, they had been part of the crowd that called for his crucifixion. And so on this day when the Holy Spirit comes, Peter gets up to give his first post-resurrection message. And in that message, he tells them, guess what? God sent his son to be the Messiah. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. You were all there. You saw the miracles. God signed off that this was his son. And you killed the Messiah. And God proves that he's the Messiah by rising him from the dead. And we've all witnessed it. And so you are in a heap of trouble. Because the reality is, if you just killed the Messiah, that's probably, if you're a Jew, like number one rule, don't kill Messiahs, right? <laughs> like if you kill the Messiah, you go to the top of the most wanted list, right? And of course, the reality is, is that we all killed the Messiah, didn't we? He died for all of us. And so we all go to the top of the most wanted list. And so what Peter's gonna do, he's gonna walk them through the life of Christ, and then he's gonna say, hey, and you, you, this is how you know he's Messiah. He predicted the prophecy of, of Psalm 16, that the Messiah would rise from the dead. And so he tells the story. He goes back to the Old Testament to support the story with prophetic scripture. And so here we go. He says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God, kind of proved by God, to you by miracles and wonders and signs. Y'all saw which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. And this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose. So it's his death wasn't an accident, it was part of a plan, and by his foreknowledge. And you with the help of wicked men, right? So the, the spiritual leaders of Israel, the, the Roman leaders government, with the help of wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, now he's going to quote from Psalm 16. He says, so this is what David said about him. And, and so David's going to talk about a time in his life when he's really being uh, in danger, but he senses God's presence, and God assures him that he's not going to die, that God's going to protect him from death. He's not going to go in the grave. He's not gonna, his body's not going to rot. And so what Peter's going to say is, but this has deeper prophetic meaning. And so he says, uh, David says, I saw the Lord always before me, you know, in the midst of his danger. And because he's at my right hand, he's with me, I will not be shaken. I won't be destroyed. Therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, and my body, my physical body, will also live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave. So what David is saying, I'm in the midst of a jam. These people are trying to kill me, but I, I sense you're with me. I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to die. That's what David's saying. He says, nor will you let your Holy One, which was the name for the King of Israel, the Holy One, see decay. I'm not going to rot. You have made known to me the paths of life. In other words, you've, you're going to rescue me. I'm going to continue living, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. I'm not going to shield. I'm going to continue living in your presence. Okay, so, so that's the story. Now, now, here's what Peter says. He says, brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David, he did die. He was buried. His tomb is here in Jerusalem to this day. But he was a prophet. And so when he wrote these words, he's speaking over his head. Right? He's speaking beyond himself. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that, what, that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. That one day a Messiah would come from his line. And so seeing what was ahead, David spoke of the resurrection of the Christ 
that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. So he says, when David wrote this, there was more to this than meets the eye. This was not just saying that David would not go to death. It was a prediction that David's greater son would not decay. That that when he went to the grave, he would not stay in the grave. And he says, so God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of this fact. Okay, so, so he's laid it out for them. You are all guilty. God sent his son, the Messiah. He performed miracles to prove it. You killed the wrong guy, and God raised him from the dead as predicted prophetically in Psalm 16, and we are witnesses, and we're here to tell you, you killed the Messiah, okay? So that's how he sets it up. So he sets up the good news by telling them the bad news. And so they are all guilty, and so this this, from this point on in this message, we'll look at it later, Peter says, okay, so here's what you need to do. You're all guilty as can be. Here's what you need to be. And he begins to share the message of Christ, that Christ died for us, for our sins, so that we could be forgiven and live a whole new life and receive the gift of his spirit so we can live with him both now and in the next life. And of course, this is what Jesus was talking about. In fact, if you go back to Luke 24, remember this is where we started this journey this morning. We started with Luke 24. We talked about how Jesus, that, that first night of the resurrection, he sat down with his men. He did a Bible study, walking them through the prophetic scriptures. Well, now that we've done the same thing, we've gone back and looked at three of those prophetic scriptures. Let's read it again. It'll make more sense. So he says, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled, not just the reigning king, but the suffering. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And so he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, just like we did right now. We just walked them through. And so he told them, this is what is written in the Old Testament. The Christ or the Messiah, he will suffer. He will rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached uh, in his name to all of us, or to the, to the whole nations. And so, so this becomes the message of the New Testament. This is the gospel of Jesus. Messiah has come. The prophesied one has come. That he's come to live the life that you and I could never live, the, the perfect life, that we would get credit for that. He lived the life that we could never live. He died the death that we deserved of a sentence for our rebellion. And that if a man or a woman comes to a place in their life they believe that message and they're ready to repent. This message of repentance would turn from our old life and surrender to the leadership of Jesus and trust him for our salvation that we can be born again, enter into a new relationship with God both now and forever. And that is what we call the gospel, right? And, and that's what we're here to celebrate today. And so when Peter finished his sermon that day, the crowd was cut to the heart. I mean, what do you do when you find out that you just killed the wrong guy? The one that you said you've been living for your whole life and waiting for has finally come and you murdered him. And so what do you do? And so Peter spoke to the crowds, and they're in the back of your note sheet. You have exactly what he said in Acts 2.38. Peter replied, repent. And this is a Bible word that means to turn your life around. Stop living for yourself, living for God. Surrender your life. Turn from what's wrong, evil, destructive. Turn to what's right and good and true. Follow him. So he says, repent. And he says, repent and then be what? 
Be baptized. Can we say it again? Repent and be baptized. See, in the early church, this is the way you did it. When you became a follower of Jesus, you repent, you trust in him, and you be baptized. It was the initiation right into the movement of Jesus. And, and so he says, and then when that happens, two things will happen in your life. Is be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, two things will happen. He says, first, you get forgiveness of sins. And so that's the first part of the deal. When a person repents and trusts in Christ, the first thing that happens is they get a, a get-out-of-jail card, right? That, that all crimes committed against the king have been forgiven. Past, present, and future. Why? Because Jesus died in your place. He took the sentence for you. The death that you deserved, he bore that. The beating you deserved, the destruction you deserved, he bore that. And so we're set free from our prison because someone took, paid the price. And so the first thing is total amnesty, forgiveness. But the second gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. That when a man or woman gives their life to Jesus and trusts in him, that God himself comes to live inside of us, to change us from the inside out, the gift of his spirit, to lead us, to guide. And this weekend, we have 36 people here at Rocky Peak. Yeah. 36 people who are repenting and being baptized, right? 36 people who are repenting of living for themselves. 36 people who are repenting of not believing in Jesus. 36 people who say, I do believe in him as my Messiah. I do believe he died in my place. I'm trusting him in Christ alone for my salvation. I'm surrendering to his leadership. I'm repenting from running my old life. I'm asking Christ to come in. And so when they go in the waters of baptism, it really speaks to two things. Number one, it speaks of the washing away like a spiritual bath of all the things we've done. But it also speaks of our death with Christ going into the grave under the water to our old life. And then rising with him through the power of the Spirit to live a new life. It was fun looking over the list this weekend to see what God is doing here. I said there was 36 people. There, there was four people that are nine years old uh, that are being baptized. Start of their life, yeah. There were nine people, nine people that are students in their teens that are giving their life to Christ. There are nine people in their 20s that are giving their life to Christ. There are seven 30-somethings giving their life to Christ. There are six 40-somethings who are giving their life to Christ. There are four 50-somethings giving their life to Christ. And there are two 60-somethings giving their life to Christ. So I just want to say, where are you 70-year-olds? I don't know. But you know what it says? You're never too young or you're never too old to give your life to Christ. That's what it says. And, and what it also says is don't waste another day. However old you are, don't waste another day. And if you're here today, maybe you've come to see someone else be baptized and you've never really understood the gospel, that Jesus died for you 
because of his amazing love and he rose for you to give you a new life and to forgive you, then why don't today you give your life to Christ? Why don't today, what's holding you back, that you would start this new life too? And so if you're here to be baptized, this is the biggest service. We have 17 people being baptized. If you're here, come on down. Well, it doesn't get much better than that, does it? I'll tell you what, I was reading yesterday in Luke 15, and Jesus three times says, whenever one sinner repents, heaven goes crazy. There's like, there is a party in heaven. That's what Jesus said, there's a party in heaven when one sinner repents. And, and, and that's what this church is about. That, that's what this is about. You know, I hope you get this. This church is not about us, Amen. right? This church is about those out there who have not yet met the Messiah, right? And so we gather and we worship and we grow and we get built up so that we can go out and we can share the message and impact lives and the movement goes on as he gets the glory as he touches more and more lives, amen? Amen. I'm ready to sign up for that. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to sign up for that. So here we go. Next weekend, uh, continue this series. Uh, next weekend, the message is called True Passion. And so one of the things that we're taught in Psalms is that we are created for a life of passion. And we often chase after the wrong things trying to find our passion. But our deepest passion is to be for God and that we come into the right relationship and alignment that he creates a passion for himself that sets all the rest of our passions in order. And so next week we're going to look like what does it look like to have God as our true passion and what are the things that rob us of our passion and what are the things that lead to our passion. And so the topic on the table next week is true passion. So I hope you can join us. And then the next week, we only have one more week after next week, two more weeks in the series. We'll finish up on Thanksgiving week, looking at some psalm, uh, psalms of Thanksgiving, a big topic in psalms. But then in December, we're starting a brand new series. It's a Christmas series. It's a four-week series. It's called The Invasion, The True Story of Christmas. And so what we're going to be doing is stepping back. A lot of us know the basic story of Christmas. You know, young mom, unexpected pregnancy, reluctant fiance, donkey, long trip. Like we, <laughs> we, we, we get the story. Like we know the story. But, but we know the story some, sometimes so well we miss the, the part it plays in the much larger story of what God is doing in the human race in our life. Because the story of Christmas is just one very important chapter in a much larger story that God is telling. And so, so I want to take us through as a church that we look through the experience of Christmas through new eyes, the God of what, what God's doing throughout human history to restore the race to himself. And so it's going to be a great series for us. But here's the thing. It's also been intentionally a great series to invite someone who doesn't know Christ to come. Because every week, the end point is going to come around to the basic gospel of what Christmas is about and this God who's come after us. And so uh, there are many people who may not be open to coming to church normally, but at Christmas time, that they would be open. And so every week, we'll be sharing that message as part of it. We'll give them a chance to respond. Next weekend, we will actually have series cards in your program. You'll be extra 
ones out at the point. Uh, so that if you have people that you want to invite, there'll be a series, going to tell you about the series, got a map on the back, where to go, service times, and so on. And so we want to continue growing as a church that's reaching out to those who don't know Christ to say, come and see. Just check it out. Just come and see. It's probably not what you think, you know, and, and, so, and, and see what God does. Amen? And so many of this weekend, so many of the stories of people baptized, that was their story that someone invited them to come and see. And that's how the movement of Jesus goes on. So after the service, if you need extra prayer today, there's always a ministry at the back called our Prayer Connection, Prayer Corner. Uh, go back to the back of this green sign back there and, and get some extra prayer. Uh, other than that, until, until next week, may the Lord be with you. May the Jesus who died for you, the Jesus who rose for you, the Jesus who lives in you, be the Jesus that empowers you and captures your affections this week. May, may you pursue him. May you listen to the voice of his spirit. May you embrace the gift of his forgiveness of all sins, past, present, and future. And may you run, run hard after him as he unleashes his true passion in your life, which we'll be looking at next week. God bless you. I love you. I'll see you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at the Peak, thanks for listening.